You're listening to a sermon by New Hill Church. We pray this message helps you to put Jesus in the perspective. If you have questions about this message, a previous message, or about a relationship with Jesus, please email us at engage at newhilloh.com. Uh, church, we love the Word of God. We're excited to start the, the kids' class back when we're in the building. Um, but for the time being, don't think for a second that these kids aren't learning while they're in here, um, while we preach and proclaim God's Word each and every Sunday. With that being said, we're continuing in our series um, this morning, Taken by Grace. And not only are we continuing, but we're closing out this series. And I don't know if you all have enjoyed it as much as I have, but I can tell you for me it's been a, a blast. Um, I've had a great time, and I, I think a lot of times we can look at the book of Jonah not only as a, a mystical fairy tale, but we can look at it as a, just a one-trick pony, right? There's just one thing that happens here, and that's Jonah swallowed by a fish, um, we, we call it a well oftentimes. Uh, here at New Hill, we call it a catfish. Um, came and, and took Jonah. And then what we see is the, the fish spits him back out on the land. And Jonah is obedient to go and to proclaim the truth that God wanted him to proclaim. And in the kids' books, chapter 4 is left out. And that's where we are today in chapter 4. And what we have to remember is that Jonah is not the hero of this story. Actually, no one is the hero in the Bible except for God himself, holy triune God. But oftentimes, Jonah is elevated to a position that his own book does not allow him to stand in. The main point I want to look at for us this morning, church, is that God extends mercy to, to, to whom he wills. God extends mercy to, to, to whom He wills. I can say it. God is extending mercy where He wills. And the problem is, is, is it's not that, that Jonah is this hyper-Calvinist who doesn't want to go share because he's like, God's just going to do whatever God wants to do. He doesn't want to do it because he wants to be in control of his own journey and he wants to see his enemy find their damnation. How many times have we looked at a group of people? People who looked different than us, walked different than us, had the same skin color as us. This is not necessarily a race thing, but we write them off because of something that they've done to us, and what we do is end up disobeying God himself by not proclaiming the truth that we've been called to proclaim. This is not simply a message that Jonah was given, but church, we have been given the great commission not to just go and tell about the wrath that is found in God if you are separated from him, if you do not believe in the gospel of Jesus, but we are told to extend the truth of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This book talks about how unworthy we are, but how worthy we are made through the one true King, Jesus Christ. That is the good news for us. And we don't get to be in control of, of who receives God's mercy. Now that's, a, that's not a good thing, that's a great thing. We get to be the conduit that God would flow through us to draw people to himself. It is no longer time for us, church, to sit in our seats and not go forward to proclaim. God extends mercy to whom he wills. The points I want to look at this morning to support this is the problem here, the provision here, and the priorities here. Problem, provision, and priorities. I'm Baptist. I shouldn't wear coats when I preach. 
Problem, provision, priorities. The first point we're going to look at is the problem. See, Jonah's rebellion was led by his understanding of who God was. We look at this book, and when you don't actually ever get to chapter 4, you never see the problem. You never, the, the rubber never meets the road. You don't figure out why Jonah wouldn't do this. You look at and say, in chapter 1, Jonah didn't go just because he was a, a rebel. But he was not a rebel without a cause. He had a cause. And the cause was this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, it is, not, is it not what I said? Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He had a cause. His cause was that he did not want to see his enemy meet God's grace. He did not want to see them taken by the grace of God to repent. He did not want to see this. What he wanted to see was the wrath come upon them. So there's a problem here. Jonah knew exactly who God was. Jonah knew that if he went and extended this message that yet God could do what only God could do and extend mercy and bring them to himself. And he refused. It says at the very beginning, so chapter 3, if you're just kind of tuning in with us, we broke chapter 3 up into to two sermons. In the second half, you see exactly what this, this city does. And again, context is key here. This was not just a, a people group. This would have been like back in um, the early 1900s, going and telling a Jew to go and tell the Nazi party that, that they are forgiven, right? That they can be forgiven. That there's wrath if they don't change, but if they change, they can be forgiven. I can tell you right now that a Jew in the early 1900s would be like, mm-mm. It's not happening. This was a people group that attacked God's people over and over and over again. We see the evil. And we see that they know of their evil because the king himself calls for the people to fast. And in verses 6 through 10 of chapter 3, he calls for a, a fast that they, they wouldn't eat, not just them, but their flock, the herd, nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way. This was an evil people group. So then they repent. They turn. And then chapter 3 ends, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So then what happens? Jonah shares this message. Church, what would you do if you went to your enemy and you said, God is going to strike you down if you do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? We go and we faithfully proclaim that message to the worst of our enemies. And they say, you're right. I need to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need to turn and to repent. And they told you that. And they prayed before you. They, they, they mourned their sin. They changed their life and their actions. They sought change. What would we do 
I tell you what we should do. We should celebrate. We should rejoice that someone has turned from their evil way and believed in the Lord Jesus. Amen, church? Need to be a little bit more awake here. Amen, church? That is a good thing when someone turns from their wicked way, their old self, their, the, the depraved mind that they lived before they knew Christ, and they, they're given life through Jesus Christ, and they walk that way. That should cause us to rejoice. But what did it do to Jonah? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What that, that phrase there, but it displeased, and the original language would actually be more of Jonah felt that it was evil, would be a better translation to say that, that Jonah felt that this action from God was an evil action, that his enemy would be forgiven for the things that they had done. He did not feel that they were worthy for God's mercy. But church, when we do that, when we, when we assert that view into our evangelism, what we do is we make ourselves God of that situation. And that is wrong. Because if we look back at our past, if we look back this past week, things that we did that people would think that we weren't worthy for the gospel. Church, the Bible shares with us that we're not good enough and we cannot attain salvation on our own. But the beauty in the gospel is that Jesus was perfect. That Jesus was the sacrifice. That Jesus laid his life on the line, poured out his blood so that if we believe in him, we could be saved. Church, we should never get on a high horse as if we've not been in the same position. You see, in a world where, where if you don't walk the same, in, in the, the same person's shoes, if you don't walk in those shoes ever a day of your life, then you can't have an opinion about it. That is not true when it comes to the gospel. Is that we have all experienced this. Christians, do not forget that moment. Before you knew Jesus, what it felt like. God extends mercy to whom He wills. And there is a problem within our heart that needs to be exposed if we are refusing to share the good news with others. Jonah felt that this was evil. The evil thing is wishing eternal damnation on others. It's not okay. And we see it so often. We'll see um, a convicted um, person of, of charges. we got kids in here, even with headphones. You all know what I'm talking about. We see people harm these children in ways that we say, if I could just get my hands on that person, God will take care of them one day. They're going to get what they deserve. They're going to rot in hell. Church, that is a misunderstanding of the gospel. We should seek justice. We should, we should seek a, a good judicial system that will, will find justice and will seek justice for us the way that God intended it to be, but we should pray for that person's soul and not become the Jonah of the situation and not extend the grace and the mercy. I think a lot of us have a tough time with prison ministries because we don't feel that they're worthy of the message of the gospel. See, Jonah's wishing death upon himself here for no good reason. Look, he's still, he's, he's been seeking his, his death, really his own demise this whole time. Right? O oh Lord, is that not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee the Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love 
and relenting from disaster. Why did he know that? Why did he know that? Because God's people experienced that over and over and over again. God's people being the rebellious people running from the truth of God and again finding themselves receiving mercy and steadfast love from a faithful God. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Church, if you would, you can go ahead and turn to Philippians 1. Let's see what Paul talks about here, about dying. Just go and be with the Lord. We can just go ahead and give it all up now, right? Just be done with this mission that we've been given because we don't want to go out and do it. Just call it quits. Philippians 1, picking up in verse 18 and going through 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to... For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what, church? Gain. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul knew he could, he could go and just be with the Lord. He'd, he was under much persecution. He really had no easy road to walk from the time that God blinded him, turned him around, and saved him, as God does. Paul did not have an easy road. But he said, for me to die is gain. To live is Christ. And Jonah is just seeking the easy way out. He just does not want to see this anymore. But Paul gives us a, a clear picture, especially being in the, the New Testament here, to understand that we are to press on. When the days get tough, when tribulation comes, church, we are to press on, not retreat. We are to go forward and proclaim the good news. Why did Paul do it? For the church in Philippi's sake. For them, he pressed on. We must expose this problem that lies within our heart and not ignore the provision that stands before us with God. Point number two is provision. We have this, this problem that keeps us from seeing exactly what God is doing before us. That Jonah, even in his rebellion, is still seeing the provision of God. That the Lord is still working. The Lord challenged him right there at the, the end of, of that first section. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And then what's Jonah do? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city 
and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on his head, on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And then God says this question again, but God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well, angry. Do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Look at this, this provision from God. So what's Jonah do? God asked him this question. Do you do angry? Do you do well to be angry? He immediately leaves the city. He builds this booth, right? And he sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. This is almost like Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah, watching from a distance to see what would become of the city. And maybe Jonah is hoping for that moment that, that when he leaves that they would, they would actually turn from their repenting and they would go back to their evil way and he would see the city destroyed. He goes up to watch it. He wants to see what's going to happen. Is this as if he doesn't already know? The very reason he didn't want to carry the message was because he knew that God was gracious, merciful, a, a relenting God, steadfast in love slow to anger. He knew all of these things about God, yet what does he do? He still shows that he does not think it's right by going up on the hill, making a booth, and hoping for their demise. History shows us that there was kind of a, a lack of lumber at that time, which makes sense to why Jonah wasn't fully covered in this booth that he made. It wasn't like me going out to build a booth and I've got to set up shop really fast and I know that I would miss some spots but be like, ah, it's good enough for me. We can actually see back in history that there was a, a shortage at this time. So then what does God do? To his rebellious prophet, Jonah, now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, this rebellious Jonah, that it might be a shade for his head save him from his discomfort. Jonah, running from God, arguing with God, not wanting to do what God said, being a rebel, receives this provision from God. That God raises up this plant to help him, to save him from his discomfort. The very thing that was happening to the Ninevites, Jonah experiences this. And he was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He was happy. He no longer had any discomfort. Like when you're, you're hanging out outside and it's, it's summer, but like, you know, it's not really a super sunny day, so you're not thinking about it, and then you just feel this beating on the back of your neck, and then you realize it's, it's too late and there's nothing you can do, but then you go home and you put the aloe on it that's been in the refrigerator, and you're like, Oh, that is the absolute best. I used to go and get burnt as a kid just so like my mom would like get that stuff out for me because it felt so good, right? You like you know that you feel like the heat 
and the fire of the devil on your back, and you're just like, oh, nothing's going to save me. And then you get that beautiful aloe out. And you're like, yes. It's great. And Jonah has that moment with God where God provides for him even in his rebellion. He was exceedingly glad. But God had something to teach him. Because when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so it withered away. How many times have we been in this moment where it feels like God provides and then God takes away? Right? And it's so confusing because it feels like we're finally getting on this path. Right? We're finally figuring it out. We're finally moving forward. We're taking five steps forward only to feel like we're really taking six steps back and we're further back than where we started. But God was showing him something through his provision. Because when the sun rose up, God appointed this scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. So God makes it even more miserable than before. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah is fed up at this point. He's tired. He's, he's wrestling with why God would be doing these very things to him without realizing that the provision has been before him and his priorities have been all screwed up. His priorities are jacked up, and that's point number three. He pities what he did not labor for. He pities the things that are in control of the sovereign God. He misses the mark entirely. This plant rises up and takes away his discomfort. And then it goes away. And then he becomes angry with God, angry enough to die. So God asks him this question in verse 10. If you're ready for a, a, a huge, awesome, big end to the book of Jonah, get ready for the most anticlimactic end of any book of the Bible. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. Jonah had nothing to do with this plant, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. So we ask him this question, do you, do you do well to be angry? Back in verse 9, he said, yes, angry, angry enough to die. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. He had nothing to do with this plant. And he was sorrowful, he was sad, he was mad, he was angry to the point of death that this plant had come and gone when he had nothing to do with it. I, I share these emotions, and I know that um, one, of, one of the Atma boys, Jacoby, um, never talked to him. He's not here. That's why I can say it today. Never talked to him about the pizza hut that once laid on North Court Street. I heard that he had a meltdown when he saw that they demolished it. And I share that, that sentiment of, where did it go? I love Ohio pie up in Brunswick, but man, I don't care what Aubrey says. I love getting me some stuffed crust pizza. She's looking away. Stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut. I love it. It's just something nostalgic. It just takes me straight back to my childhood, and we would get Pizza Hut all the time. So me and Jacoby, we protest this. But guess what? 
Me and Jacoby had nothing to do with making that Pizza Hut, sustaining that Pizza Hut, or the end of that Pizza Hut. Nothing to do with it. But what happened to our emotions? They got caught up in it, and we felt the pain of that loss. Insert Jonah here. He pities the plant, but he does not pity the 120,000 persons of Nineveh. Verse 11, And should not I, God speaking, should not I pity, meaning have compassion on Nineveh, that great city, not great as in their deeds, remember church, great as in their empire, they were a big city, great in number, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle. God makes a point to Jonah. You had nothing to do with that plant, yet you pity it. Every living and breathing person and even creature was created by the holy God. And even more deep, each and every human being was made in the image of God. Should not God have compassion on those made in His image? See, this is where we get the, the nature of the loving Father. The Father. Remember the peace of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. We see the fatherly nature here. And should, I not, and should not I pity that great city? You pitied the flower that you had nothing to do with. He gave Jonah a simple message at the very beginning. Go and tell them of the wrath that is to come because of the evil that they have caused and gone against my word. He refused and he refused and he refused, ignoring and missing the point that God has. That church, we're not in control of anybody's salvation. Now, you can be an Arminian and be like, well, that stinks because I have no control and I just feel like I can't go do it now. If I don't have control of it, I don't want to do it. And you can be the hyper-Calvinist where you're like, it really just doesn't matter. But we ignore the fact that God tells us to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is disobedience when we don't do that. And I don't care what side we lay on. Calvinist or Arminian, we have a task before us. And that's to go. That is to go and to share this good news. Why would we withhold it? Listen to these words and understand the compassionate heart of our mighty God. And should not I pity Nineveh? Should, should God not pity our neighborhoods, our town, Medina, those made in His very image, turning away from His Word each and every day as more and more people become disconnected from the Gospel, the true Gospel of Jesus Christ. Should He not have compassion? Let me tell you, church, He has commissioned us to go. And the longer we sit in our chairs and we get in our comfort zone where we feel like we can just hop on a boat to Tarshish and, and run away from Nineveh, the more we feel like we can sit in our recliners at home and, and you know, pop it back and you know, open up um, a nice can of Pepsi or uh, whatever you do to relax. Whatever your escape is, the more and more comfortable we become, the more and more we end up like the prophet Jonah, living in rebellion while being called to God's plan. Church, the challenge here for us today is to take a look at our priorities 
What do we prioritize? Do we prioritize the gospel of Jesus Christ or the wealth and accolades of our career? Like what we can provide to our home. Look, if our home is not rooted in the gospel, then the town is not going to see that. Our friends are not going to see that. Our church family is not going to see that, feel that, or even understand the effects of that in our life. We will not be doing what God has called us to do if we do not reevaluate our priorities and put the gospel first. And everything within our marriage. Have we made an idol of our spouse? Have we made an idol of our loved ones? Have we made an idol of our career? Have we made an idol of our hobbies? Or do we turn away from those and worship the one true God? And part of worship is going out and sharing that good news, going out and doing life with others, regardless of how they feel about us, regardless of how they feel about the gospel, to share it in a loving and gracious yet stern and bold way. Church, I don't want to be a Jonah this morning, so let me tell you something. If you do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've never turned to, to commit your life. That's what we, we've been talking about in the guys group. Is it's not about being a fan. It's about being a follower. And there's a huge difference. Do you cheer for the church? Do you cheer for everything going on within the church? Do you cheer when there's a martyr because you know that someone stood on their faith? You, you kind of mourn, right? You, you hate to see someone lose their life, but you know that it was for the gospel and that God was glorified in it. Do we cheer for those things? Do we cheer when people are baptized? Do we cheer when people raise their hand to say that they were saved? I would say that we would all say yes to those things. But do we become boots on the ground here in Medina, being rejected by those we lived around, be, being rejected by those we, we see at the block parties because we are standing on the truth of Jesus Christ? Are we following Jesus or are we just fans? So the question here is, is do you believe in the gospel and belief in the gospel being your follower? That every bit of your life is being radically renewed. Because if you haven't, the message that God gave Jonah to take to the Ninevites also applies to us, except for the 40 days part. Don't worry. I don't know that 40 days is like your countdown. But I do know God has a countdown on our life, on the end times. God is in control of that. But if you do not know him, you will not want to see that day. And being a fan is not going to be good enough. Being a follower means repenting. Seeing the problem in our life. What is that? Sin. Seeing God's provision, his son. And rearranging our priorities. Salvation. Being saved. Repenting. Turning from our way believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've done that, if you've done that, then you will spend eternity with him forever. Eternity. We can't even wrap our minds around that. But the book of Jonah shows us a lot more about ourselves than it does about a fish. It shows us a lot more about ourselves than it does even about Jonah. See, we can, we can look at people in, in the, the Bible and say, wow, they were screw-ups. Adam, you had one job. But we too, church, fall into the same pits each and every day. 
And the only way to get out of that is with Jesus Christ. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up here. So if you've not believed in the gospel, I mean like believed by, it's changed your life and it's radically renewed who you are. It's changed your identity. That you were no longer your own, but you were one in Christ Jesus. Then I would encourage you to come find one of the pastors here. We got our Pastor John back today. And I know, yeah. I know if anybody would love to pray with you, it'd be Pastor John today, that's for sure. Pastor Simon, Pastor Gary, myself, anybody here. We've got plenty of of members. God just continues to add to our church family. I don't know why, but I love it. Any of us would be happy to tell you about the good news in Jesus Christ. About the gospel. About the message that tells us that, that we aren't, Michael Meadows is not good enough, but Christ is. Michael Meadows cannot do things on his own, but Christ can through me. We would love to tell you that. We would love to just pray for you. If you need prayer, we would love to just pray for you. If, if you just Today's the day that you just want to have some prayer. You can find one of us pastors. We'd love to just pray with you. Because not only do you need to turn and believe in the gospel once and for all, but to those who, of us who have been living like Jonah, we need to turn and to repent for our actions and begin to go and faithfully proclaim this word boldly, but with grace and compassion. And pray that God would do what only God can do. Church, we are not in control. God has told us to go and to share this message. He did not give us a category for do it with this people, but not with this people. He said, go. So church, let us go as we leave here today. As we gather in to go back out, let us seek to faithfully proclaim God's word through our actions, but through our words as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had with you this morning and together, this family and and our guests and God, those who are missing this morning. I pray that you would continue to build up your church here. God, that you would build up your kingdom here in Medina. God, as we gather in here at the, the Moose Lodge and soon to be 580 North State Road, God, I pray that you would be glorified not just through the gatherings inside, but from the outreach outside, by us going as you've told us to do. I pray right now for for us as the believers, people who have believed, those you've saved today and before this day, God, that you would encourage us to get on the track, God, to, to begin to acknowledge the problem that lies within our heart, to quit trying to play God, to see your provisions, God, and that we would seek change, And we would go and faithfully proclaim your word to our neighbors, to our neighborhoods, to this town, to this state, to this nation, to the ends of the earth, God, through the ministry here. Pray that we would be a faithful people because of you who live inside of us. God, that you would give us the spirit of of boldness. That you would give us wisdom when we don't have understanding. God, that you would give us all the words that we need to faithfully share your word. God, to the person here who's yet to give their life to you, I pray that you would just 
work on their heart right now. Pray that you would just show them the way that they need to go, and that's through the Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. That there's no life apart from Him, and I pray that that they would see that and feel that, God, and that your Spirit would work on them and draw them to yourself and save them. God, and we could celebrate that with them. We could begin to disciple them and lead them into your Word. Father, we love you. Be with us this week as we we go out. Be with the ladies and, and their group on Wednesday. God, with all the projects at the church and just everything going on, God, I pray that everything that we do would be for our good and for your glory, God. We love you and we praise you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.